the, the number of things that I, I thought I would change were, was, were so many that I was like, oh, maybe I just don't like this game. If like, But I don't know. At the same time, it feels like they made fewer positive changes to this than they did to Saga Frontier that came out like two months ago. And so a game that I think was worse to begin with is now be, being given uh, a less careful remaster. And so it all just stinks. I get, hey, what's up? I've just been complaining for like a full minute. So we're listening to the Big Bang Theory Theory. Hi, I'm Nick. A full minute since we started recording. There was like a full 10 minutes before we started recording. Yes. And because you know that, you know, this is the Big Bang Theory Theory. Hi, I'm Kyle. Hi. Uh, we're watching a television show about nerds. And as much as they love their nostalgia, Nick Hyde is here to tell you that the things you enjoyed as a youth were probably bad and you shouldn't go back and ever revisit them. Particularly if you go back more than like 15 or 20 years and you're like, Oh, the things I enjoyed as a child were particularly racist, homophobic and misogynistic. And then that is a whole other story, but I'm not even talking about that. Um, you know what? And I'm so not talking. Is that a jab at Brent Spiner who appears in this episode? No, I was just thinking about. I know, like, I'm just messing with you. Well, how are you met? What, what is there? Brett Spiner dirt? What are you saying? No, no, I, I don't mean to denigrate the career. As far as I know, he's probably fine. I hope so. But yes, he is in this episode of the actual show we're watching, The Big Bang Theory, where we watch it once every other week, which is more than anyone should ever have to watch it, and we pick it apart to figure out how much of it we actually enjoy, how much of it is inaccurately depicting nerd culture. And more often than not, we just talk about things we we actually enjoy. (laughs) So uh, I guess I should just dive right into the the brief summary of today's episode, which um, I will give it credit in that it has a more coherent plot structure than the last handful of episodes. So off to a good start there. Um, And today's episode is season five, episode five, uh, which is officially titled The Rush It Rocket Reaction. Wait, it's fine. I feel like that fits the, the general naming convention less of these episodes in that it's not a, 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 a takeoff of an obvious scientific terminology or whatever. Like, unless you want to consider reaction the weird science word they're using. But again, if they are, it's off the rails. But anyway, episode starts with a couple of the nerds, uh, Leonard and uh, Sheldon, hanging out at uh, their local comic book shop, drooling over a model sword uh, and haggling Stuart, the comic shop proprietor to to get that sword and immediately as reminded of a thing of nerd culture I hate, which um, j- collectibles in general and specifically collectible weaponry. So that that's happening and w- while they're drooling over it, Will Wheaton comes in to be his obnoxious cameo self again. Though by this point, I'm less annoyed when I see him which isn't to say that I'm not annoyed, but I've I've uh, come to expect him as a character. And that is ex- weird. Like, I guess it's like, do you think there was like at some point they were just like, well, I guess, you know, sort of like community has to do like a paintball episode where they just like, well, I guess the fans expect us to do a Will Wheaton episode every season now. I mean, that must be it. Yeah, because it, I hadn't thought about it, but it does appear to be a seasonal thing. And... I mean, what else is Will Wheaton doing? You know, like, when the height of your career is Wesley Crusher, and then the rest of your career is being like, no, no, I didn't just play a nerd, I am one in real life. It's like the I Big Bang say, Theory I is... I know exactly, he's making, uh, he's making a YouTube channel where he plays board games with other nerdy people. Yeah, it's, it's when your career tanks, 
you you have one of two primary choices. One is the path of light, which Will Wheaton has walked, where he has said, hey, guess what, everyone? I'm actually a normal person. I do like these nerdy things. Let's have a good time. The other is the path of darkness, where you turn into a dust and diamond, and you go around cynically exploiting your little bit of fame, being a, a major diamond. creep. Oh, did I say Justin Diamond? Oh, I meant to say Dustin Diamond. But oh, he, well, maybe you did, but I don't know who that is either. He played, he played Screech on Saved by the Bell, and um, he tried to turn having once played Screech into its own whole career, uh, where he went around uh, basically just being a monster creepo and and trying to to milk what little bit of fame he, he once had. Uh, I think he recently died for probably fame-related reasons. But uh, yeah, he found out he wasn't invited on the latest Saved by the Bell reboot, and that was the final nail, literal nail in his coffin. It banished That's very him from possible. the earth. I, I can imagine the rest of the gang being like Dustin, though you were the one cartoon character and had like the most obvious catchphrases or whatever of the series. No one is comfortable standing beside you, and so you're you're out. Um, but that's not what the show is about. Will Wheaton shows up. And, and yeah, less obnoxious than ever, though still obnoxious, still uh, mortal enemies with, with Sheldon. And uh, he, he mentions to comic book owner, uh, comic shop owner, that he's having a big party. Everyone should come check it out. Uh, and he invites uh, Sheldon and Leonard. Leonard is like, yeah, I think I might actually go. And Sheldon considers this the ultimate betrayal. But because uh, Leonard hasn't made his mind up yet... Uh, Sheldon decides that he uh, is going to be a uh, in a Schrodinger friendship with with Leonard, which is to say, their friendship exists in a simultaneous state of both being undamaged and that they are great friends, and in an equally hypothetical state of uh, Leonard has decided to go to the party and ultimately portray Sheldon and cannot be trusted, and so for the whole episode. If you, oh, are, you, are you itching to get in there? Uh, I was just going to say, I think the technical term for that is a quantum superposition, but I'm not sure. Yes, that, that, that sounds right. But in any case, yeah. So Sheldon decides that their friendship is going to simultaneously exist in these two po- uh, potential states, and which just means that every time he says something nice, he also says something mean, uh, which is a fun way to live. And so that... Um, in theory, is the main plot, but maybe, maybe this is a meta thing. Maybe this show actually has two main plots that are simultaneously existing, and you can't determine which one is the main plot until the show is over. And now that I've watched the whole episode, I still can't tell you which the main plot is because the that other. Is, po- I was just about to say that it's this episode. I, it's impossible. It feels like there's either two A plots or two B plots. Yeah, and um, I think it's giving the writers too much credit to assume that was intentional, but it's possible. Uh, my mind is imploding right now. All the layers are collapsing in on themselves as I'm trying to figure out whether anything that I saw today was intentional. But the other A plot or other B plot, who knows, is uh, Wallowitz comes into the apartment where all the rest of the gang are hanging out and announces that not only has, um, I think, a telescope that he was been working on been selected to be installed on the International Space Station, but that they need someone to operate it, and that he has been selected to go on a multi-week trip to the space station. And uh, Bernadette feigns excitement about this at first, 
and asks, uh, how is he going to get to space since we don't have a shuttle program? And so when Olowitz is like, oh, well, you know, they fly me to Moscow and I go up in some rickety old Russian rocket and we just see what happens from there. And so it becomes immediately obvious that Bernadette is extremely concerned about Wallowitz's uh, safety and Wallowitz does not give a shit because he's so excited about going to space. And so then this, this other plot we have is how to address the tension between Wallowitz and Bernadette where Bernadette uh, confronts Wallowitz about not including her in the decision and Wallowitz can't understand how Bernadette is not unequivocally happy for him. And the way they resolve that is, uh, oddly enough, rather than Wallowitz becoming, uh, I mean, Wallowitz, I guess he does kind of develop in a sense that he, he recognizes he should have included Bernadette. And so they have this hypothetical conversation about, had I included you, how would that go? And rather than it becoming, uh, coming to its own head, instead, to, to make Bernadette, the bad guy, she, when staying over at Wallace's places, goes in and talks with Wallace's mom about it, who apparently he had not yet told. And now the objection becomes hers. And so Bernadette has sort of passed the buck, but also become um, the villain by betraying Wallowitz's trust. Yeah, and so one of it's- the more stone-cold things I've ever seen anyone on this show do is she just walks out of the room... You hear his mother start screaming. Then she comes back into the room still smiling like a sociopath. Well, and so either – and you, I might need your help because either the, the, the plot didn't grip me enough to remember it or it just went unresolved. But I don't really remember any period where Wallowitz's mom is on board. Instead, it becomes this question of, oh, now how is Bernadette going to uh, express her – uh, her apology for having betrayed Wallowitz so harshly. Uh, and Wallowitz, meanwhile, gets to just be like, oh, yeah, I mean, I'm the guy who made the decision and didn't, didn't tell anybody important in my life and didn't include them. And I am somehow nonetheless the victim here because my, my girlfriend apparently knowingly uh, told my mom about this without me ever having mentioned it. And so, like, Basically, so that's the episode, and shit gets resolved or whatever. They go to, the other nerds, they go to the party with Will Wheaton, and Will Wheaton gives Sheldon a, a mint condition Wesley Crusher toy, and Brett Spiner comes over and immediately opens it, and so haha, Will Wheaton and Sheldon are best friends, and Brett Spiner is his new mortal enemy at the end. Um, but I'm just, I, I, I rush that because I'm so much more interested in the Wallowitz shuffle, where he that's comes funny. in, he's a creep. He, he, he leaves everyone out of the decision. Everyone acknowledges he did a shitty thing. But halfway through the episode, when when Bernadette apologizes or is, like, preparing to apologize, Amy and Penny are both like, is that something you really want to do? Is Wallowitz worth it? Do you really love him that much? And they're all, like, giving her the opportunity for an out. They're like, sure, you can apologize to Wallowitz if you want, but is he worth it? And so they all agree, yes. And then not only does like Wallowitz get a pass there, but then um, when it turns out that he never told his mom about anything and that Bernadette is the bad guy there, it's like, it's Wallowitz fucked up there too. Like he was eventually going... Okay, 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 okay. You were being so much harder. I'm pushing back. You were being so much harder on Wallowitz than I was expecting. I can't let it go, no. Anyone to be... I mean, so I am totally like... I was, and I, you know, not to bring it back, but I was watching this 
with uh, with my girlfriend, and we were basically. She was like, "No, I mean, yeah, she of course she he should have told Bernadette, but you know, you don't, you know, you don't get to make decisions about your partner's career." I mean, he basically tells her the second he finds out that he's actually going in this phase, he lets them know that that's happening. No, see I that understand. I agree with. It's it's the it's the mom betrayal that I think is the bigger issue. How did he just what well, he didn't he just he specifically says I was going to tell her I was just waiting for the right moment to break it to. Right. And how is she supposed to know when that moment is and why would she have assumed that he wouldn't have already told his mom the oh, person no, no, who is obvious are, You are reading this in a because she specifically obviously you read that scene in a the wrong way. Normally, I would be like in an interesting way. Well, explain. You misread the scene because what? Well, I, no, I might be disagreeing, but go, go ahead. Because what blatantly happens there is she has said multiple times, Bernadette, that she doesn't want Wallowitz to go. Correct. And it is creating tension in their relationship that she yes. is uncomfortable with because she is feeling like she is standing in the way of something, and it is causing problems for their relationship. So she doesn't want to do that, but she still doesn't want him to go. So what she says is, no, it's totally fine. You can go. Let's not fight about this anymore. Let's have sex. Oh, wait, just one thing. I have to go brush my teeth. She walks out of the room. You hear his mom start screaming, what do you mean my son is going into space? And then she walks back into the room and saying like, oh, no big deal. I'm ready to, you know, go to bed now. Because what she did... Was she passed the buck, like Correct. you said, to Wallowitz's yeah, mom? Yes, yeah, she does. And she all she's doing, though, is triggering the conversation that was going to have to happen anyway. Yeah, but you don't get to do that for someone else, for someone else's parent. I, I don't know. When you're, when you're, like, essentially married and you're, you're with the guy who lives with his mom, that it's going to come up inevitably – and for her to bring it up, like, what, the day before he was going to bring it the week before he's going to bring it up, only so that his mom could have the... Because his mom's not upset that she heard it from Bernadette. I understand why that's a betrayal, but her the mom is upset that it's happening at all. She does not want Wallowitz to go to space. So Bernadette is being shady, but all she's doing is saying, look, I'm not the only bad guy here. Wallowitz... You, you still have to deal with this shit. And she's taking away his ability to have control over how he tells her. That's like if he had, if it was some other major decision of his, like yeah. if you were coming out of the closet and, you know, she had walked in the room and been like, hey, did you hear your son's gay? Yeah, well, Wallowitz, the character who has been defined well in the series, the guy who thoughtfully has sit-down discussions with people about choices he's making, and who, has ever, and who has ever... Like, who has ever at any point had a meaningful, thoughtful discussion about anything with his mother. A character who has not appeared on screen because all of her interactions are her bellowing out objections. This is all true, but the fact that he's a shitty person doesn't mean you get to take away his opportunity. You can't use the justification that he was probably going to screw it up anyway as an excuse to screw up the situation for him. I can't. That's like saying, you know, well, you, let's face it, you're probably eventually going to kill your mother in a fit of weird, oedipal, psycho-passion anyway, so I just cut to the chase and stabbed her in the stomach for you. What? No, I th- no, not stab her in the stomach for you, but to trigger the circumstances where Wallowitz stabs her. This is Wallowitz's problem he has to deal with. Bernadette's not making it any easier, but, I mean, she's just, like I said, she is just uh, speeding up the eventual confrontation that was going to happen anyway. 
Yeah, I and I'm just saying, maybe, I guess you're giving them all a free pass because it's a sitcom and they're all terrible people. I'm just saying, if you treat this like a real, in any real life situation that was analogous to this, where I'm, it, it, where a person was both standing in the way of something that their partner really wanted and considered super important to their both their career and their personal aspirations, where their partner was standing in the way of that, and in an attempt to further sabotage it, went mm-hmm. behind their back and went to their parents in an attempt to bring their parents on board with sabotaging their aspirations, I, you would be really, you would be like, no, that's obviously not cool. You're clearly But, but she's not, there. she's not sabotaging it. It's, she's not influencing Wallowitz's mom to prevent him from going to space. Like, we don't see what the conversation is, but I assume it's something like this. Bernadette meets Wallowitz's mom in or near bathroom while brushing teeth and says, hey, what do you think about Howard going to space? And that's all it takes. And my, my issue isn't that um, the Bernadette didn't do anything wrong here, but it's again that Wallowitz is – they're trying to give him the pass for not confronting the situation on his own. And like, yeah, I guess you're taking away the opportunity – I guess you're taking away his opportunity to do that. But like for him to be content knowing like, oh, well, you know, I guess I've got my wife on board – We'll just, you know, pretend that this is okay until I eventually have the exact same blope with my mom and have to go through all the same motions. I mean, again, and this is fair, I guess, because you're relying on Wallowitz's past behavior in the show to justify the fact that, well, of course he was going to fuck this up. I'm just saying, in the immediate context of the episode, he found out that day that he was going. He, so he literally, he, it has been less than 24 hours... And the yes, first and, he, and he tells he, everyone he but come, his mom. <laughs> well, because he just he came. He literally he comes home. He well, he doesn't even go home. He goes straight from work over to see his friends. Immediately breaks the news that immediately leads into a huge awkward blowout fight with his girlfriend that he spends the whole evening diffusing. And then, so I guess my question is practically: a When did he have? the chance to tell his mother in the actual plot of the show, when was he supposed to do it? And Probably it sometime is- between when he entered the front door of the home where he lives with his mother and went upstairs to sleep with his girlfriend. So I, he, he would have to actively avoid her at home to not, to have an opportunity to talk with her about it. Not, I mean, I guess this is, this makes sense. You, you don't strike me as a person who has ever tiptoed around other people in the attempt to spare... Uh, not because you're, like, a sociopath. Oh, no, I have. But I'm saying that... You, you you asked, when was he supposed to tell her? I'm saying, he lives with her. <laughs> yeah, but I get... I'm, and it was I'm, exciting news to announce to all of his friends. What, and now all of his friends are sworn to secrecy because they can't tell his mom yeah. about the terrible news that he excitedly announced publicly? Yes. that's. I'm saying this is a thing that you do. Like, I have all sorts of stuff that... You know, I don't talk about with my friends' parents because, you know, a lot of my friends' parents are crazy religious fundamentalists. And do you think I talk about all of the, you know, the shit that they get up to to their parents? No. Do you think if I were having a an argument with one of them and thought that they were not making the best choices, that my response to that would be like, you know who's really going to make this situation better? Bringing in Mr. and Mrs., you know... Uh, religious fundamentalists in this conversation. And Presumably who they don't live with and who they're not trying to get their girlfriend to move in with and who is uh, 
still very directly involved in their life on a daily basis. No, you're absolutely right that he had probably some kind of obligation to tell her. I'm just saying the fact that he doesn't burst through the door on day one of finding out this news. But here's what I... If, if in you imagine some universe where Wallowitz was a real person and not a cartoon character, if in the situation he had come the next day and been like, Mom, sit down. I have something to tell you. You're not going to like it. But I want you to know there's something really important to me and we need to have a conversation about it. It's going to be scary for you, but here's what's going on and I hope you can be supportive. And then broke the news to her. Would you have been like, oh, well, that guy was an asshole because he waited a whole day. You, no, you're right, Kyle. If, if, we, if this were real life and Wallowitz were a different person, I guess I would have a different opinion about the situation. Thank you. Yeah. That's I guess if, if, if we extracted all the facts and replaced them with different facts, that could change my outlook on the situation. Situation. <laughs> not the fact. The facts are the same. You're no, just, they're not. You said if we, if Wallowitz were a different person and this were real life, that's not the same. I'm commenting on these issues as I experience them, which is we are dealing with a cartoon character who lives with a comically involved mom in the same home where he's fucking his girlfriend, who has the opportunity to run into her, and that she shouldn't be under some sort of obligation to stay tight-lipped about good news. That he would have told her if he weren't trying to pull a fast one. Yes, I get all that. So basically you're saying it's okay for these people to be horrible because it's basically an episode of The Simpsons. And therefore there's no... I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. there are a lot of things in The Simpsons I would object to in real life. I would object to a father wringing his son's neck and throttling him multiple times a day. So I'm seeing... I'm I'm saying I understand where your argument is coming from. By that logic, I guess Wallowitz, if he really... The second Bernadette started to argue with him, he should have roofied her. Because that's in keeping with his character. He could have just, you know, been like, oh, that's a funny point. And then, you know, chloroformed her so she didn't remember the immediate comments yes. around why she was upset. And then she would have woken up in his bed with a headache wondering what's going You're on. Right. But he would have been like, no, I'm, this is fine. I'm misinterpreting these characters. If, if, I were really, if I were really reading characters as, they, as the show has portrayed them to us, routine rapist Wallowitz... Who's, who's frequently seen walking in the closets with women and then not appearing for the rest of the episode because he's too busy committing sex crimes. Uh, I didn't incorporate that into my reading of today's episode. Well, let's know we can still disagree about things. I'm happy that I thought this was such a middle-of-the-road episode and that I'm not struggling for bits and pieces to drag out to talk about. So. I'm just explaining. So in... The, in the moment where you're actually confused about, which is none of what has happened so far, but when Amy and Penny look at what Bernadette has done and been like, no, you're a monster here, that was why. Well, no, but I agree with them. But also, in that same scene, they're like, is Wallowitz worth it? It's like, you did a bad thing, but think about who is on the other end of it. Like, yes, and that's yeah. totally fair. No, like, I didn't think that that wasn't... Like, Bernadette's whole being with Wallowitz has never made any sense, and I think we can still agree about that. And we can also agree that Penny has plenty of, definitely has the right to call out the fact that he's, you know, Penny as the person who has been sexually harassed by Wallowitz more than any other character on the show, including probably Bernadette, oddly enough, definitely has the right to be like, are you sure you actually, just a reminder really quick, this person you're feeling all of this anxiety about is a monster, and you should uh-huh. not be with them. Uh, unrelated to the show, but speaking of sexual harassment, I went to um, this is a, always a great lead-in. Yeah, I went to a, a local dispensary the other day, uh, and the la- the last time I, I went there, 
it was like the archetypical, like the platonic example of a guy that works in a weed store, which is he's high at the time. And, uh, and also for people who don't live in Montana, um, weed is technically only, well, so we, we have it recreationally, but you can't sell it recreationally yet. So we, it's been approved, but the, the infrastructure or whatever isn't going to be set up for another year. And so technically it's still only medical, but for all intents and purposes, it's full recreational. Like uh, I was telling a friend the other day, like no one medicinally needs uh, a gigantic nerd's rope that will make you lose your mind for six hours. Like that's not something that is medicine. So anyway, I was at the shop and yeah, so the guy, you know, actively high and telling me about all the different types of uh, ancient strains um, upon which all modern strains are based. It's a conversation I've had a couple times with the same guy. I imagine it's I imagine it's what it's like talking to me. And I, uh, I'm sorry to everyone else. That is exhausting. But when I was there the other day, it was a different guy. He was beautiful. <laughs> and I was like Aww. trying to think of like, how can I tell this man how, how nice his hair is without either coming off like a creep or him thinking I'm hitting on him? And so I just didn't say anything, and that's all. It's just, I, I did not want to be a sexual harasser, and so instead I just have to, you know, think about this, my silence in this man's beauty. So that's all. But anyway. So I don't know. This is normally the point in the episode where I would say, Jesus Christ, is there anything else to talk about in this episode? But we've obviously found a lot to talk about with just a little bit of the content um, is there anything else that you think you want to dive into? Because, like, uh, I don't like. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I mean, I was saying no. The other half of this episode is so much. Yeah, that's actually exactly what I was going to say too. I was like, we could talk about the Sheldon side, but it's on, on the one hand, I guess it is more jokey than the other because, like, the Wallowitz and Bernadette stuff, um, as real as the show can possibly get, is like real, you know, realistic-ish relationship drama. But, oh, I did have one more thought about that, actually. The other weird thing about Bernadette's whole response to that situation is her job. She works in a biohazard lab. Her li- we have literally been privy to moments where she's been like, well, I either have a cough or I'm carrying COVID-31 and I'm going to die soon and possibly take all of you with me. And that's just like her day-to-day existence. That is true. But- she is constantly exposed to possible world-ending hazards. <laughs> But doesn't like the idea of, uh, yeah, a, a lowest bidder rocket. Oh, well. Which also just reminded me, um, I wasn't going to get into this in recommendations, but I, I think I've seen you watching it too. Have you Have you seen much of or have you finished the, the Netflix Sweet Tooth? Uh, I watched the, I'm, I finished the first two episodes. I like it, but I'm not very deep. Oh, okay. There's, there's something, uh. You're not going to believe it, plague-related, but I won't bring it up because I think it's technically a spoiler. A few can, episodes I, ahead. No, I've read the whole. I mean, if you well, but it's but it's it doesn't. No, well, but it's not something that tracks with the comic either. So it would be just based on the show. Um, uh, okay, then that's fine. I will say about Sweet Tooth, it's such a weird show watching it because they're trying so hard to be like this show is not a super bummer. Like they're trying right. so hard to be like we don't want you to feel bummed out. When watching the show about humanity slowly collapsing into its final death throes as a plague kills everyone, so it, yes. you have there's like a whole weird. I mean, I'm not saying it's like like 
I'm not saying it does a bad job of it at all. It actually, I think, does a really good job of it. It's just such a... It's so bizarre, the line it's trying... It's basically trying really hard not to be the last of us. Yeah. Um, It it does... Well, at the same time being like, yes, but of course there are house parties where if someone sneezes, then they immediately, like, tape them to a chair and burn. Yes. It's, uh... It is trying to take something that was was very, very dreary and grim and and make it cute and hopeful. And it is bizarre. It's like, I was, at the first episode, I was like, what the fuck is happening? And then second episode, I was like, oh, so this is really just a different beast. My problem is, even accepting that it's different, I still don't think I like it. But I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to finish at least the first season. But that's not, anyway, that all came up because of a, a line in an episode that I'm not going to talk about because it might be a spoiler. It's getting to the point where we would normally start talking about our nerd things. I feel like we haven't discussed as many nitpicky things in this episode as we normally would, but that's because we had something to actually talk about this time. Yeah. We had a fight, which is always fun. Well, it was a, it was a good, uh, hey, I think it's very important to have friends that you can disagree with. I have a friend I have to message because I do not think they're someone I can disagree with. And so we mm-hmm. haven't talked in a couple of weeks, and now I've got to like see if I'm going to mend or burn that bridge. <laughs> so, yeah, that's stressful. Yeah. Well, yeah, let's let's call it good on this one. So, uh, dear listeners, there was there are more goofs that happened in this episode. I think we touched on all of them. But, yeah, this is one of the few episodes that had real, real character drama. And I'm going to change my rating system from a 13 stars to just a recommend or not recommend. Um, and this one, I think, gets 6 out of 13 on that scale. Nerd things, do we want to get into them? Sure, why not? All right. I do have one loaded up, but do you want to go first or shall I? Okay. Um, Actually, no, I'll go first because it's thematically connected to basically what we were talking about. Okay, let's do it. Also, heads up to you and listeners, I promise, not a bummer this week. So actually just a a thing I enjoy that I recently revisited. So, but go ahead, Kyle. All right, good. Um, So I've been rewatching, I think I recommended this first one, the show came. Um, which is The Good Place, which was, like, my favorite show on television when it was all shiny and new. Sure. Um, How many seasons is that? Five or four or longer? It's four. It, okay. So one of the one of the reasons the show works very well is it did not over, like, it Good. was four seasons. None of this, the first season is 13 episodes. I think the others are all 12. So, you know, it is basically two full seasons of normal television. Um, and then it's a whole complete story. So that's one of the smart decisions that the show made. It's that is just, good. It's just like to be a complete narrative in, frankly, very small chunk. Um, the other thing I was going to say about it that I didn't realize, the thing that struck me watching particularly the first season this time through, um, although arguably it's a, it's a carryover to the show, is um, what's clever about The Good Place, and this does sort of include... A spoiler. I don't know how to talk. If you haven't seen it, I don't know how to talk about it. Yeah, beep, 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 alert, alert. Big TV broadcast spoiler incoming. You've been warned. There. Yeah. So the big big shocking twist that you find out at the end of the first... Well, I should say... So in The Good Place, it's The Good Place is named after all the people die. And instead of talking about heaven and hell, basically, you're just told... Well, no, there is a good place and there's a bad place that you can go after you die. And ostensibly all of the characters you meet in the show start out in the good place. Only one of them doesn't think they actually belong there and that there's been some kind of mix-up because she was actually a pretty terrible person and by why everybody sees some sort of saint. And hijinks ensue from there. And it turns out, spoiler alert, at the end of the first season, the reason 
there's confusion. She's actually been in the bad place, aka hell, the whole time. The whole neighbor, the whole setup only exists to screw with her. And why that's clever, I ne- you know, I think because I just watched it in real time and I wasn't binging it originally, is the whole thing, in addition to becoming a great treatise on philosophy and ethics and whatever, but it is basically the perfect explanation for how sitcoms actually work. Because there's a lot of wacky stuff that is not actually that much more over the top than what you would normally find in a sitcom that just makes so much more sense in the ex- when the explanation is oh no, you're in hell and this is literally all designed to torture you. Like, the most obvious example is in the first season, they're stuck in their... Her and another character are stuck in an apartment together for arbitrary reasons, and of course they're both lying about their identities. And then two people come and, like, the guy who runs the neighborhood is like, oh, their house burned down and they need to stay with you for a couple of days. And it's like, okay, what do you do? And she's like... Oh, well, I'm a relationship counselor, and he's a private detective who specializes in identity fraud. And as wild as that sounds, it's not actually that much crazier than what you would find in, like, I don't know, like an episode of Faulty Towers or maybe even the Big Bang Theory in which, like, people get trapped with two people who are just coincidentally the exact type of people who would drive them, who would be, like, the worst people you'd want to encounter in the scenario that they're in. It just happens to have a built-in narrative explanation so the whole like i said it works thematically with the show because the whole show is like human beings sort of torture each other it's what we're designed for it's it's sort of like the side effect of our hell is other for the show but it does sort of create an interesting uh meta premise which is if you watch any other sitcom you get to think to yourself how much more sense would this make if actually they're all of these characters are dead and they're being tortured in hell forever and this is just what that torture looks like for them and possibly some of these characters and are in on the torture. And by that logic, the Big Bang Theory makes so much more sense. I like it. <laughs> I like that. Uh, I'm going to start using that as a framework for every sitcom I watch now is like, are these people having a decent time or is this what hell would be? Is that why all this... That actually, uh, oh, never mind. I was going to say that reminds me of something similar, but it was more like a failed joke that I never told to a specific person. So, hey, you're welcome, audience. I saved that one for the brain space. <laughs> and so anything else about Good Place, or, or is that the end of your recommendation there? I mean, it's a great show. You should watch it. It does, but that was my main this time watching it through, is how, how cleverly it is as a deconstruction of the standard sitcom premise. Cool. Uh, all right. Good wreck. Hard wreck. Um, for mine... I think I may have recommended this very early on myself, um, but I... As long I, as it's not Stardew Valley or Persona 5, you're good. You have I recommended one of those before? Yes. Okay, well, the Persona, Persona 5 Royal, that, that doesn't count. No, um, I, I myself am currently dating a lady, and it's weird because she's a bit younger than I am, and so we have different frames of reference for what was cool when we were growing up. And I was showing her, I have a very, very small media collection. And in that collection is the, uh, the, the DVD box set of Aeon Flux. And I was watching that with her the other day. And something that, uh, it's something I take for granted because I grew up with it. But for her who had no idea what it was in explaining how crazy any of his, any of that show is to see upon first impression, uh, really uh, put a put a spark of joy and life in my heart. 
because um so eon flux uh is it was introduced and uh, originally uh just as a a series of shorts on um an M- an early MTV animation uh, uh, col- uh anthology show called liquid television and so uh they would have like I don't know, two, three minute shorts once every episode of that. And the, the general premise is that, uh, there are two sides in a futuristic war. There are the, the monikins, um, of whom Aeon Flux is one. Uh, and then there are the, the Brennians who are like the more, like the, and the monikins are like the, the sexy roguish spies and the Brennians are the more like authoritarian, uh, state-controlled kind of government. Um, but none of this is discussed. The initial clips uh, are all completely without dialogue. And the animation is crazy. It's, uh, I would say it's, it's, it's not anime. I would not call it anime. But it is very much anime-inspired um, American animation. And uh, something, one of my favorite factoids about it is uh, the creator, his name is Peter Chung, and I guess part of the reason he created this series is that he had been working on uh, the the other cartoon uh, child show, Rugrats, uh, and he felt frustrated by having to draw these immobile, dumpy babies for, for work all the time. And so he, the characters in Eon Flux are like the exact opposite of that. They're all like these like wiry... Um, bizarrely, almost like, like absolutely like superhuman, agile people. And so like environments just kind of exist as an excuse for characters to, uh, gracefully transport themselves through, through series of flips and, um, impossible. Uh, like it's the, the art style is very angular. It's like, uh, not just the, how characters are drawn, but, uh, like how scenes are presented. And so that's just the short series. And that itself is great and absolutely worth watching. Also, it is all like, I will say oppressively horny. Like it's, it's horny, like not just in a fun way, but in a way where it's kind of like, I can maybe do to be a little less horny right now. Like I, like I'm interested in what's going on, but these people won't keep their tongues out of each other's ears. What is this? And there's like heavy, heavy, not subtext, like text BDSM elements, um, like throughout, uh, which is another thing where, again, having grown up with it, it's it's like I expect that in the show. And meanwhile, my friend is like, "Why are all these leather weirdos with guns like doing backflips and fucking each other constantly?" And I'm like, "I, I didn't realize that that's what your TV wasn't like." <laughs> um, and uh, and so the but what we've been watching aren't those shorts. We've been watching uh, it was it was later developed into a full. Um, television, like 30 minute series. And, uh, it was still very short. I think there was only one, maybe technically two, but like short seasons. And those do have dialogue and are still much, and are much more plot heavy because of that. But it's, it's, I, I think part of the thing I enjoy about the show, and, uh, I think this is going to only hold up any accusations, however false, I believe they be that I have any sort of hipster attitude about me. But something I like about the show is that it makes no attempt to be accessible. Like it just lays out every episode, a series of bizarre, nigh inexplicable things. 
that only begin to make sense upon multiple viewings. <laughs> and the fact that it doesn't feel like it has to explain any of that. And it's like, take it or leave it. This is what's happening, baby. I fucking love it. Uh, and there are things like I've watched this show for over 20 years and, and girlfriend is watching and she's like, what's that about? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> they didn't really explain that, but uh, who, you know, that's, that's what they wanted to show us. And uh, I do not believe it was an oversight or unintentional. So no, uh, I think it, I'm, I'm not taking away, but I was just going, well, I should let you, please, please first. go ahead. No, I, I mean, that, I was basically, I was wrapping up. I was going to say, it makes sense, because if you think about the time when that was coming out, which is a little before my time, too, but uh, it's basically, like, a music, they're all music videos without the music. In, like, the style of music videos that maybe you didn't have as much back then, but it all feels very much like the progenitor to the kind of weird, surreal, animated, like, cyberpunk music videos that a lot of, like, entertainment has now. It's like, even like a, you know, like a Janelle Monet music video or something like that which is sort of like the impressionistic tone poem of like dystopian world and action and stuff yeah so it makes sense i guess is what i'm saying is like for an mtv audience that was like slowly coming to terms with that style of like storytelling that would have been a good place to drop that okay now i have another fucking recommendation i wish i'd let you go first i would no it's that. fine let's you know we you know let's come together on this whatever it is i don't even know yet but i'm joining you 100 percent we're we're putting our palms together and turning into our ultimate form to bring the audience today's ultimate recommendation. So, if you like Aeon Flux, um, I never watched that when it was coming out, but I do remember having my mind blown in a very similar thing by the next work that that same creator made, which was Rain the Conqueror. So, I remember when Rain the Conqueror was on Adult Swim, uh, and it is technically anime because it was co-produced by a Japanese animation studio. But it is by the same, uh, it's also by Peter Chung. He designed and directed it. Okay, and I remember this I remember this name, but I have no idea what it was ever about. So you're, you're taking this one 100%. So Reign the Conqueror is the story of Alexander the Great told in the style of Aeon, which means that instead mm. of these, Oh, I've seen means, images of this. Okay. Right, which means that, I mean, it really is. It's just the story of the historical conqueror, Alexander the Great, but instead of being... Instead of being set in, like, a realistic setting or, like, having, like, real recognizable Greek architecture, it's just, like, everybody is, like, tall, angular weirdos. I mean, it works, right? Because the one thing we know about Alexander the Great is he was badass and he was horny for men and women both all the time. So it's just, like, all these tall, androgynous, like you know, weirdos in, like, body armor that does that only basically covers their junk and their nipples and nothing else you know, fighting in, like, these weird angular, like, space settings. So it's just, you know, it really blows your mind. And it's and so, like, you know, in similar art style, like, you know, it's... Because basically, it's set during a time period that, like, another example is 300. But 300, when the hoplites form their... Uh, form their... Uh, whatever you... Phalanx? Phalanx, yeah. It's, you know, it shows that like it would actually kind of look but in in Rain the Conqueror when they when the Macedonians form a phalanx they literally just become like a big sphere covered in spikes that like rolls over the enemy Persians. And you know and Hell then, yeah. and then, you know, there are all of these philosopher characters in it who are basically wizards. Like, you know, Aristotle is in it because Aristotle was um <laughs> the actual mentor to Alexander the Great, but he's basically like Obi-Wan Kenobi or Gandalf, 
and then to make it even more and like you know whenever he starts doing philosophy like the screen just slowly starts devolving into geometric shapes that make no sense um, because it's he's basically doing magic and then he yeah he's he's manipulating the ether with his logic yes and he talks to the ghost of Plato who's constantly disappointed in him and it's like you know if Socrates <sighs> were still around he would never stand for any of this I'm and so glad you've recommended this because this all of this rules and I need to do this immediately <laughs> <laughs> yeah so highly recommend great. Um, I'm going to tack on a, a, a new segment too, mini recommendations, uh, based on what you were, you were telling me about the philosophers. You reminded me of a, a favorite go-to YouTube clip I watch when I need to be cheered up, which is the clip um, from The History of the World Part 1, where um, Mel Brooks is playing... Is he Socrates? No, he's just like a he's random just, philosopher. He's just a stand-up philosopher. Yes, but yeah, that, that's exactly what I was getting to, is his... His job description is stand-up philosopher, and uh, he has to go to the unemployment line, and it gets called out for being uh, he, he's you know can, can, continues to be self-described stand-up philosopher, and uh, I think it's B. Arthur. It's like, oh, so you're a bullshitter? Did you bullshit last week? Are you bullshitting today? And then I would recommend the rest of that movie, which but the problem is, if I remember right, it's still very funny. Uh, if I remember right, it is also intensely, as the kids may say, problematic. <laughs> there, there are some entire scenes, as a matter of fact, that I think uh, could constitute a hate crime today. So uh, take that how you will. <laughs> but all right, Kyle, it's it's the time where we say goodbye. I think we did a good today. I think today was a good. Yes. Can you put a star next to the episode? That's like, oh, yeah. no. This one maybe you should actually listen to for once. Yes, that, that's a new feature we're providing. We're starring the episodes you should listen to. Today is like number ninety-seven, I think, and it is the first to earn a star. <laughs> <laughs> Doing it for like three years, and now we're like, you know what? Maybe we hit something. That's that doesn't seem crazy. That's you know what? As we approach the ten thousand hours of expertise, it is. I do think it's around the first. Like I. I don't honestly think this is our trajectory, but the McElroy brothers repeatedly will have said, you know, we've made 500 episodes and we ask that you not listen to the first one. Yes. Well, and with that in mind, I also have the goal of becoming um, a podcaster that uh, Vice has to write an article about how much I stink at, at doing my own job. That'll be great. <laughs> oh, good. That was... I'm not currently in a D&D game. The, the group I was doing here locally just wrapped up about a month ago. But just prior to it wrapping up, um, and for anyone who doesn't know what the hell I'm talking about, there, there was an article talking about how Travis McElroy, in addition to some other issues, was a real dog shit D&D uh, dungeon master. And uh, my, my DM friend sent a link to the article and was just like, Jesus Christ, I hope I'd never have anyone write an article like this about me. This was oh, yeah, I really has, why, a, has yeah. a chilling effect on GMs. Yeah, that's I, I you know, it's funny. We don't have to talk about this all now because we've already we're already running long. But I OK, also, hey, well, hold I on. Must... New segment again. Now it's a time for the uh, Big Bang Theory after dark. Continue. <laughs> I was I watched an entire YouTube video that was like, why does everyone hate the McElroys? I, I watched the same video. It took oh, me did a you really? it took me a week, but yes, I watched it. Oh my! So obviously it was. Pop you know, I didn't like it, 
it, it's, it, I didn't hate, like, it was very informative, but basically the big dark secret was that they made something that wasn't as good as the other things that they've made. And I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, that happens. It's yeah, that's like, it. It's like, oh, they tried to make, they did made something, everybody really liked it, they tried to do it again, and this time they fucked it up. Oh, that sounds like right. something, that makes sense to me. Like, it's not so much that... Like, I'm not trying to make any, like, I'm not trying to defend them. I'm not trying to make any meta point about how, like, audiences are. Well, no, but I I know what you're saying, though. It's like, what, you haven't had a progressively skyrocketing campaign value, I guess. Like, you had good, 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 and then you had a bad. And what that poisons the well of everything is like, yeah, it's. And also, you change, it's like, oh, you mean they change, like, just even like, it was the guy's first time. It's like, why is this person who has never GM'd a, a professional campaign of Dungeons and Dragons that everybody was expecting to be as good as the other guy, why is he not doing as good a job on his first time? Yeah. Well, and the thing that I was more interested in, which was only a small part of that video, but, um, so like I stopped listening to the Adventure Zone a while ago, not because I had any issues with it, but just because, uh, I don't have the attention span for narrative style podcasts. I realized like every new episode, I'd be like, I don't remember any of this shit. I have no idea what's going on. And so I just gave up. And so that's the only reason I stopped listening. The problem I have with the McElroys isn't even, well, I have a very vague general problem, which isn't a problem, which is I get sick of the constant positivity. And I don't mean that in the, as like an opposite to what was discussed in that video. That's not like a pushback against their apparent, the no bummers creed of the fandom. I just, I, I want people that can be nasty sometimes because it makes me realize that, remember that they're human and not just products. But I think the bigger issue for me is that uh, I think Travis is just kind of a dildo and that's fine, but it's like no one is willing to like accept or just be like, yeah, like he's not as good at this as his brothers. Instead, it's like, oh, well, he's self-diagnosed with several possible personality disorders. And so every misstep he makes, you're being ableist, like pointing it out. And it's like, a guy can just be kind of a dildo. Like, yeah, it's, particularly there are three of them, right? Statistically, one of them uh, has to be worse than the other two. Yeah. Like, I saw this one tweet about the time that article came out, and it really summed it up, which was like, it just said, like, everyone's telling me I can't hate Travis McElroy for being kind of obnoxious. And it's like... Yes, I can. (laughs) But just for that, I mean, yeah, I am slightly more sympathetic to him just because I, of the two of us, if it, if it's, if (laughs) if Nick and Kyle, if they were going to make, if one of us had to be the Travis McElroy of this podcast, we both know it's not you. So, oh, I don't know. I don't know about that, Kyle. It's, I, if, if, if we are having a Travis contest, I, I don't know who would win if I'm being honest. I think, I think, however, our own health would to be in, would to be be in such a contest. <laughs> like, yeah. if I like woke up tomorrow and everyone was like, you know who you remind me of? I'd be like, what happened last night? Did I <laughs> did, did did I take a, the wrong medication? Did, did I get in a car accident? Why? What's what's why is this happening? <laughs> so yeah, all right. Well, let's wrap it up there. I don't know if I'll keep this in the episode shitting on Travis McElroy. He's had enough of that, but. Um, we'll see. <laughs> Travis, if you're listening, I get it. I couldn't run a good D&D campaign that was minimum. I couldn't do it either, man. It's okay. It just yeah. happens. It's nothing uh, to be ashamed of. It's hard. 
And my, my personal message to you is I'm not going to take anything about you, take back anything about you being kind of a dildo. I am just going to say, you, I, don't, I don't give a shit if you like me either. So see you around, buddy. <laughs>